Welcome to the Talking Poem Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Green. It has been a hectic week here. It is AWP week, which for me means absolutely nothing because I haven't gone to AWP in a number of years. But for many people, it means traveling to Kansas City, getting into expensive hotel rooms, and seeing lots of people you haven't seen in a while. It's also been a hectic week here, teaching-wise, so I just wanted to share a poem with you, chat briefly about it, and then treat you to a rare surprise that I'm very excited about. So I wanted to share a Franny Choi poem, The World Keeps Ending and the World Goes On, because I like it very, very much. And there's one tiny, tiny thing I want to talk about that I find myself resisting among everything that I love very much in the poem. The world keeps ending and the world goes on. Before the apocalypse, there was the apocalypse of boats, boats of prisoners, boats cracking under sky iron. Boats making corpses bloom like algae on the shore. Before the apocalypse, there was the apocalypse of the bombed mosque. There was the apocalypse of the taxi driver warped by flame. There was the apocalypse of the leaving and the having left. Of my mother unsticking herself from her mother's grave as the plane barreled down the runway. Before the apocalypse, there was the apocalypse of planes. There was the apocalypse of pipelines legislating their way through sacred water and the apocalypse of the dogs, before which was the apocalypse of the dogs and the hoses, before which the apocalypse of dogs and slave catchers whose faces glowed by lantern light, before the apocalypse, the apocalypse of bees, the apocalypse of buses, border fence apocalypse, coat hanger apocalypse. Apocalypse in the textbook's selective silences. There was the apocalypse of the settlement and the soda machine. The apocalypse of the settlement and the jars of scalps. There was the bedlam of the cannery, the radioactive rain, the chairless martyr demanding a name. I was born from an apocalypse and have come to tell you what I know, which is that the apocalypse began when Columbus praised God and lowered his anchor. It began when a continent was drawn into cutlets. It began when Kubla Khan told Marco, begin at the beginning. By the time the apocalypse began, the world had already ended. It ended every day for a century or two. It ended and another ending world spun in its place. It ended and we woke up and ordered Greek coffees, drew the hot liquid through our teeth as everywhere the apocalypse rumbled. The apocalypse remembered, our dear, beloved apocalypse. It drifted slowly from the trees all around us, so loud we stopped hearing it. There are a number of things I really love about this poem. I'm kind of a drawn in by any use of anaphora, which is the re repetition of phrases at the beginning of the sentence. And it just, it works really well here, just subject-wise and, and tone-wise, because it has this kind of spiritual or religious resonance it has that kind of echo and echo and echo and it works for drawing together the idea of apocalypse which we are familiar with in part in religious context and also the idea of this repetition going backward and backward and i think it ends up becoming a really clever and clever in a good way clever not derogatory in the current twitter way of thinking about it very clever way of drawing together a wide array of cruelties and making us rethink what apocalypse means for 
people who have been burdened and who have suffered at the hands of all kinds of cruelty and violence and to sort of reframe apocalypse outside of a sort of white Christian mythology and into the actual experience of other minority and minoritized people. And so I really, really love that. And then I think the ending of the poem is really beautiful, really perfectly pitched, because in a way it would be easy for the poem to end on a note of blame, because there's a lot of rightful blame in the poem, but it turns it turns with it ended, and we've gotten that it ended, it ended, and then it ended, and we woke up and ordered Greek coffees, drew the hot liquid through our teeth, as everywhere the apocalypse rumbled, the apocalypse remembered, our dear beloved apocalypse. So we get the tonal shift there, and we get the image of the person just sort of sipping coffee, and then it drifted slowly from the trees all around us, so loud we stopped hearing it. And the we, I think, there gets at the challenge of trying to stay awake to all this violence, both the violence of the past and the violence of the present, and that that's just such a difficult challenge to live through and to be listening to and to be aware of. It's exhausting. And I think that's the other thing about anaphora is over time, it can create this sense of exhaustion and the sense of weariness. And I think that that is something really, really powerful in the poem. Love the poem. My only very small resistance to it is the line, border fence apocalypse and coat hanger apocalypse, in part because those phrases are already there fixed to an immediate political or to two different immediate political situations, whereas the rest of the language, I think, is really surprising in terms of how we move from one apocalypse to another and in terms of how those apocalypses apocalypsi we'll find out the apocalypse is rendered the apocalypse of pipelines legislating their way through sacred water and the apocalypse of the dogs and so the pipelines legislating their way through sacred water has this kind of uh, metonymy where the pipelines aren't legislated in themselves but they are being legislated, but they are representing something larger. And then there are these juxtapositions like apocalypse of the settlement and the soda machine. And my only hesitation about border fence apocalypse, coat hanger apocalypse, is that they are just one-to-one -one representations of immigration and abortion. And they don't have quite the same pop as everything else. I understand why they're in here, and I think it's important that they're in here. And this is a very small reservation. I find myself just blown away by this poem and having that very small reservation. If I could write a poem, you know, at this level with no reservations at all, or even small reservations, I would be absolutely delighted with myself. Relatedly, the surprise. I have been inspired by TikTok. College applicants, they've been filming themselves opening admissions letters from colleges and posting their reactions, whether it's acceptance or rejection. And so today, by coincidence, I received three responses from Lit Mags for my own poems right in a row. I'm going to open them one by one here on the podcast. If you feel a dread in the pit of your stomach, don't worry. My friends know that I have a very, very, very thick skin. That's like one damp ply of toilet paper. Okay, first one. Flapdoodle International Literary Journal. I submitted to them two days ago, and I gotta say the turnaround time is really impressive. They must have fallen in love with one of these. Dear Charlie, normally we thank writers in this first line for submitting to us, but in your case, we'll make an exception. 
Look, man, we get that everyone has to pass the time somehow, but don't ever do this to poetry or to us again. Also, please submit to our contest. The fee is $15. Okay, okay, I get it. Not everyone's poetry is to everyone's taste, and, you know, it can be useful to hear some hard truths. So, on to the second one. This is from the Paris Review Review. I've got a good feeling about this one. Dear Mr. Green, colon, oh, it's a colon, no, 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 yet, nine, in how many languages must we tell you no? Our undergraduate intern did want to single out your poem, Noodles, 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 for praise. Oh, that's awesome. Cool. So we had to pull her from the internship and replace her with a paper shredder. Now, that hardly seems fair. Ah, Could have gone worse. Okay, last one. This is a biggie. I know that the podcast is not a visual medium, so I just want to say the letterhead is really, really fancy. It's on this nice, thick paper. From the offices of Dewey, Cheatham, Howe, and Plimpton. Dear Mr. Green, this is what is known best as a cease and desist letter. If you submit poems again to the even newer Yorker, we will be forced to take legal action. Okay, you know, I actually feel pretty buoyed here. You know, there's not a single form of rejection. They're all personal notes. I feel like things are looking up. And, you know, I want to say, I think there's an important lesson here. Thanks for listening. As always, go read some poems, pet some dogs, and support striking workers wherever you find them. Bye.